Morning, Christchurch. We've had a uh, really big week here at Christchurch. Uh, beginning with last weekend, our parish retreat was such a fun and um, informative time. If you weren't able to join us, we're going to put up the teachings onto our podcast. Our podcast usually is just our sermons, but we're going to put some of those Saturday sessions up there so you can catch up with some of what we talked about. We talked about the art of friendship and what does it mean in the church as chosen family to live in an intentionality of friendship uh, here in the church. Um, Really fantastic weekend. Um, There's also a lot of news uh, about the future of Christchurch last weekend, and I'll come back to that during announcement time as well, and you might have been here or you might have gotten some emails about that, and we'll touch on on that in a little bit. Um, Today's also All Saints Day, which, um, or All Saints, the first Sunday after All Saints Day, and so you'll notice some of our prayers, um, the the paragraph prayers or the prayers of the people that we're going to do, some of the music that we're, and, and the worship songs have this theme about recognition of we belong to the global and historic communion of saints. And not just saints as in the technical term of those who are canonized, but you, you Christ Church, are saints. Anybody who's had a spiritual influence on in your life in any way, that it might be someone that you want at this time to just have a special kind of moment or, or gratitude or memory of of them and gratitude for how they've impacted your life as a saint in your life. There's this really fun song we're going to sing after, uh, right before communion that is, it's an old British classic, and it, all the telltale signs of it being British are in there. They're kind of fun. Um, so enjoy that as well. But just the ways, today's a day where we're mindful of the company that we keep, uh, both now and across time in the church. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're doing a series where we're preaching through from beginning to end the whole Gospel, and we're in chapter 5, and we're going to pick that up today. Um, My kids use a lot of slang. I've got kids who are in that age group. They're now like, I've got teenagers up to uh, early, mid-20s, but this started some years ago where I just started hearing words. I was like, what in the world does that mean? And they would educate me. So I've stayed up a little bit, but I, it changes so fast that I, I'll, I'll try to use it sometimes with them. And they're like, Dad, that was so six months ago. And um, it, well, tell me what's up now. So one of the words that uh, came, started being used around our house years ago was lit. And the Urban Dictionary um, allows user definitions to, to kind of crowdsource what do all these slang words mean that keep popping up. And... Um, And so here's what one user, how one user defined lit. It's this, what millennials use when describing something that is fire or dope. (laughs) So for those who aren't well-versed on these terms either, um, or just, uh, here's a more straightforward definition. A term used to describe something that's cool and exciting, or just generally something you would want to experience. A little more straightforward. Another word that started popping around our house was salty, which means uh, upset about something. And um, so that kind of that word would toss around for a little while. We had a youth pastor here a while ago who wore a T-shirt that simply said "salty and lit," and um, <laughs> not with the meaning that you know the Urban Dictionary gives it, but of course a reference to salt and light. Jesus tells us. As the church, this is what it means to be the church. 
we get one of the most concise, you could, you could just kind of succinctly say, what is the mission of the church? You can't get more concise, but also pretty profound in saying it means to be salt and light. That's the mission of the church. And he tells us that, Christ Church. He tells us as his friends, join me in this, in this way of being in the world. Our gospel reading this morning uh, and, and that Jesus communicates to us something that's right at the center, right at the core of the calling of his disciples. He's going right to the heart of it, and this is it. Here's what he's teaching in our reading today. We impact our world by walking in God's ways from the inside out. That's it. That's our passage. Both sections that had to do with salt and light and the law and the keeping of the law, all of that. We impact our world by walking in God's ways from the inside out. So we're going to take that a little like phrase by phrase, but beginning with we impact our world, a central part of our calling is to exhibit the goodness of God for the sake of the world, to impact the world around us. Two vivid images that illustrate the relationship of the church to the world are salt and light, and every human being knows the importance of both of these. This is, um, these are great choices by Jesus to use to illustrate what it means to the church because the poorest of the poor knows the importance. Every household, every, it's a household commodity. You need light, and even if it's not electricity, you need lamps and candles. We need light and salt are fundamental to every home and household. And there's a basic assumption behind these two metaphors, that the church and the world are distinct communities. Now, we could get on to talk about this passage and overlook kind of that assumption that's being made, and that is the church and the world are distinct communities. And evidently, the world is a dark place because it needs light. Evidently, the world is subject to decay because it needs something to preserve it and to flavor it. But Jesus goes beyond simply informing us and saying just, okay, you're salt and you're light. He goes beyond informing us. In both cases, he also goes another step and he warns us against losing those qualities. The salt must not lose its saltiness. The light must not be put under a a bushel or something that would cover it up. It must be allowed to shine. If salt loses its saltiness, then he says it's only good for throwing onto the ground where people walk. And light is useless if it's covered up. So when that happens, we've lost our distinctiveness, Jesus saying, our distinctiveness from the world. We've assimilated into the world maybe becoming undistinguishable from the world, and not a distinct people, a, di- a peculiar people, a distinct community. And we can no longer then have an impact on the world if we're not distinct from it in some important ways. So let's take a moment and look at what it means to be salt and light. Verse 13 says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt is one of the most ancient and universal commodities. There are towns that have been discovered that date 6,000 years ago that were built on the basis of salt, near a salt mine. 
There's one in China that's been discovered. There's one in Europe that's been discovered. 6,000 years ago, communities that were built around this. I was, uh, after this first service, one couple came up to me and said they had traveled to Dubrovnik, Croatia, and, and they discovered in this town that there is the second longest wall, second to the Great Wall of China. There's this, the second longest wall is there in Croatia, and it was built to protect this town that was a salt mining town. That's how valuable it was as a commodity. It was used as currency at some points in history. Some of the Roman roads were built as salt trading routes, and that developed into this vast network throughout, uh, throughout the Mediterranean and Europe. A beautiful ro- uh, European town, Salzburg, is named because of a nearby salt mine. In our day, we're most familiar with salt as something that enhances flavor. Who, who, are, the, who are the ones that grab the salt? It's like almost immediately. Yeah, I do too. It just salt. We mostly use it for flavor, and this is in a an era that is familiar with refrigerated air. Before refrigerated air, salt. If you said salt, somebody would think almost as soon as they think about flavor and what it does to food, they would think about how it's used as a preservative, as well to preserve food from spoiling or decay. Christian saltiness is Christian character as described just above in chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. This is what it means to be salty. Jesus has just told them, you are blessed. You could also say, you are salty if. And these Beatitudes describe to us what that Christian character looks like. Keeping in step with the Spirit, walking in God's ways. Jesus is about to turn back to that very topic after talking about salt and light. So we have the Beatitudes where he talks about walking in his ways and what that looks like. Salt and light, and then he's going to come back to again this, what does it mean to walk in the ways of God? Because this is where the saltiness comes from. It's in the way we live, in the way we live distinctly from the world around us. Our influence on the world is dependent on being distinct from the world, in it, but not of it, as it says elsewhere in the Bible, marching to a different drumbeat than the people around us. There's a great British preacher in London in the 20th century named Dr. Lloyd-Jones, and he says this, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. Isn't that interesting? There's an attraction that happens when we're truly living in the Jesus way. Now, he's not talking about this distinction you might have read about or watched shows on, or maybe even you have firsthand experience, the kinds of Christian communities that separate from the world and are distinct from the world, but almost in a world-hating way, not a world-loving way. There's a distinction that, is, that the church is called to, to be in the world and to love the world. Not like the world, not of the world, but in it. Not assimilated to the world, distinct from it. Living by a different call and a different inner compass. Living with Jesus and walking with him. When we do that, that's when the world begins to listen to the message. When we look more like the world is actually when the world stops listening to it. Followers of Jesus who lose their distinctiveness, lose their flavor. There's a really great word for this. 
It's called insipid. So let's look at the dictionary again. This is the legit dictionary. Um, And here's what insipid means. Lacking flavor or zest. Not tasty. Lacking qualities that excite, stimulate, or interest. Dull. Wanting in the qualities which affect the organs of taste. Without taste or savor. Vapid. Tasteless. Jesus is saying to us, he's saying, friends, do not lose your distinctiveness from the world. Live out the blessed life I just described to you. A blessed life of humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. A purity. A purity of heart. Of a hungering and thirsting after righteousness. A life that's spreading mercy liberally around. Live that kind of life. Become peacemakers in the world. Live that kind of life. If you lose these qualities, church, you'll become insipid. That's what Jesus is telling us. You'll be a people who lack flavor and zest. You will lack qualities that excite or interest. You'll become a dull people. There will be nothing to savor about you. You'll be vapid and tasteless. Another vivid image that Jesus uses is light. Verse 14 says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Some of the qualities of light. First, it shatters the darkness, literally and metaphorically. The darkness of this world, the death and the despair and the danger of this world. Christians shining with the light of Christ can go into places of darkness, can go into places of death, despair, and danger, and not succumb to the darkness because they carry, they reflect a light. They carry a fire. There's something that holds out hope. Even in the smallest little way, this is what light does when it goes into the darkness. Another thing that light does is it shows the way. It literally can illumine the path. If you're walking at night and you have a torch or flashlight, something to light the way, it guides us. It helps us to navigate and go where we want to go. Light also exposes flaws. It's another thing it does. Some of you might have uh, had a carpet cleaner in your house, and they have a special light, and you might have pets, and they have a special light that um, you probably don't want to watch them do this, but they have a special light that they'll put over the floor, and it will show all the spots where there's pet urine on the floor, and then they'll go and clean your house, and they know especially what spots to treat. Now, You want them to do that. This is a good thing about light. But it exposes, in the same way, light can have that kind of healing effect on us. It exposes flaws, exposes exposes places where the healing touch, where the cleansing power of Jesus is needed. Another thing light does is reveals beauty, truth, goodness. It reveals these things to us. There's a sense in which we might think of light as something that we look at, uh, at as, as a source, but there's also light 
that's cast on everything around us. And C.S. Lewis captures this well, one of the qualities of light, the light of Christ. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. This is the kind of effect that we can have on the world around us, even in small ways. The reflected light of Jesus in our lives can help people make sense of the world, can help people make sense of their lives. They can see everything else a little more clearly with the reflected light of Jesus in our lives and in our community. And this happens as we live an outward life, a life that's practically visible, that others can actually observe this light in us. Jesus is not just talking about an interior-only thing here, but something that actually translates into action in what we do. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And then when they see, they will glorify your Father in heaven. Not only can we impact the common good, but our witness can lead others to see the source of the good. That's what Jesus is saying. Our, the way we live our lives as a community can impact others to see the source of everything that's good and beautiful and true. So this passage describes our mission as the church, our impact on the world that includes both this proclamation of the gospel the kinds of things that would point people to God in such a way that they would glorify God, and the kinds of things that are a practical, observable good that they can see. You might put it in terms of a mission that involves both evangelism, speaking the gospel, and social responsibility going together. John Stott was one of the most Influential leaders of the global church in the past century and one of my heroes, lifelong heroes. He was also a prolific student and scholar of scripture. And he wrote a book just on the Sermon on the Mount, on the Sermon on the Mount. And his discussion of our text today, this salt and light section, is just gold. I'm gonna quote him at length. He writes this in reference to Jesus' words about being salt and light, that others might see our good works and glorify God. Here's what he says. He says, too often evangelical Christians have interpreted their social responsibility in terms only of helping the casualties of a sick society and have done nothing to change the structures which cause the casualties. However small our part may be, we cannot opt out of seeking to create better social structures, which guarantee justice in legislation and law enforcement, the freedom and dignity of the individual, civil rights for minorities, and the abolition of social and racial discrimination. We love our neighbor, and we join Jesus in the mending of the world through both good news and good works together at both an individual and societal level. 
Right now, we're in the middle of our core class. This is an introduction to Christ Church. We call it a core class because it speaks to our core convictions, our core values, our core behaviors as a church. And uh, one of the ways that, and there's a section in there, some of you might here be in the class right now and have just gone through this section, and one of the ways that we teach about mission is we discover, I mean, we describe the mission of our church in three words, proclamation, demonstration, and vocation. All three of those kind of bundled up together. We proclaim or speak the good news of God's great mercies towards people who are far from him. We speak this good news to people. We demonstrate the good news through the way that we love our neighbor, the way we love this world, the way we love the creation that God entrusted to our care, the way we love the least of these, as Jesus talks about in Matthew 25. We demonstrate this love through these good works as well as the good news. Our words and our works go together. And then lastly, our work, our specific vocation is another way that we live out. We are salt and light as we live out our vocation in this world, as we discern what it is God has called us to do at this time and this place. What is, this, what is the specific thing he's called us to be right now and called us to do in this season of our lives? As we live that out in love of others and to the glory of God, we are salt and light in the world there as well. Stott speaks again, John Stott, even more clearly to his point. Let's look again at what he says. He says, we're called both to spread the gospel and to frame our manner of life in a way that is worthy of the gospel. So then, we should never put out two vocations to be salt and light. Our Christian social and evangelistic responsibilities over against each other as if we had to choose between them. We should not exaggerate either nor disparage either at the expense of the other. Neither can be a substitute for the other. The world needs both. It is bad and needs salt. It is dark and needs light. Our Christian vocation is to be both. Jesus Christ said so, and that should be enough. Now, do you remember the summary statement of this whole passage that we started with? We impact our world by walking in God's ways from the inside out. We've just looked at length at how we impact our world as salt and light. Let's turn and look at now briefly to the rest of the reading today from the gospel and focus on walking in God's ways from the inside out and what he says about that. We impact our world by walking in God's ways. Jesus upholds God's ways as expressed in the law. So now he, remember I said the Beatitudes talk about what this salty life looks like. Then he gives the illustrations, the images of salt and light. And then he comes back to this law, the law and the prophets he referenced, which is another way of talking about, uh, we could use words like the commandments of God, the ways of God. Go to Psalm 119, our psalm today, and the psalms use about eight different synonyms that are all talking about the same thing, whether it's his precepts, his ways, his law, the law and the prophets. This is what Jesus is talking about. Look at verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
Uh, in case his listeners are thinking that Jesus is teaching a whole new set of commands, he wants to be very clear, I'm not doing away with the old. He's, they might be hearing him say, when he says things like, you have heard it said, but I say, like when he says, you, I, you have heard it said, he's usually quoting Moses, but I say, he don't want his, his listeners to think, out with the old, that was bad old stuff, here's the good new stuff. He's saying, we're not... The, the law is not being abolished. The precepts of God, the word of God, the teachings of God, the heart of God, which is expressed through his good law, which is given for us to flourish, that's still intact. It's not abolished. In fact, I've come to fulfill it, he says. What does it mean that he's come to fulfill it? Well, the law was good and expressed the heart of God and was designed for humans to flourish as they lived it out. And so what he's saying is that I now am that law in the flesh. Every, all the goodness of God expressed in that law, I am the walking, breathing precepts of God in my very flesh. And it's fulfilled right here. Nobody has ever been able to fulfill it in that way. But here, now, I am the walking, breathing law of God. In fact, John starts his gospel on this note that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the logos of God. Jesus is the fulfillment. Think of it like a seed. The law is like a seed and Jesus is like the tree. That that seed in its fulfillment in full maturity and fruitfulness is Jesus. When that seed hits that place of fruitfulness and maturity, it has fulfilled the precepts of the seed. Jesus is that fruit-bearing tree. So now we get to our participation. Jesus said that he fulfills that law, and he calls us, he invites us to join him and be part of that with him, to participate in it. What does it mean for us to walk in God's ways according to his word? Look at Matthew 519, it says this, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So he's here saying to us, Christ Church, saying, friends, walk in this with me. Walk in this with me. Whoever walks in this way with me will be great in the kingdom of God. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teacher of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. Now, did you catch that part where it says, we have to surpass the Pharisees in our righteousness in order to enter into the kingdom of God? So, Jesus, are you saying that we have to be more righteous than the people who were most famous ever for keeping every jot and tittle of the law? We have to do better than that in order to receive the kingdom. And at first glance, it sounds like an impact, an possible standard that we would just look at it and go, we're doomed. But in fact, it sets us free. And here's why. What was the righteousness of the fairies? That's the hinge. If he says, you've got to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, we need to know what was the righteousness of the Pharisees. Their righteousness was an outer appearance of righteousness, an externalized emphasis on doing everything just right. That was the righteousness of the Pharisees. 
Unless we surpass that, we won't know the kingdom. So how do we surpass that? How do we surpass that exterior kind of acts and appearances of righteousness? We do that by seeking an inside-out approach. And now we're getting closer to what Jesus is saying here. The superior kind of righteousness, he's saying, which, by the way, this word righteousness, Father Matt talked about this in the, a couple weeks ago as we looked at the Beatitudes. That word righteousness that we have in English, the, the original language uh, kind of behind that word can be translated righteousness or justice, righteous or just, and depends on the context. It, but it really don't have separate words for it like we do. Righteousness and justice are all one in the thought uh, in, in which the, the New Testament is written. So there's a kind of justice and righteousness that go together. Speak, speaks to having a heart that is right and just and true. That's what we're after. So the superior kind of righteousness is the kind that is more about having this heart that's rooted down in justice and righteousness and truth It's more about the heart than it is about the law, the letter of the law. And for us to surpass it means to transcend that kind of outward idea of righteousness and go straight back to the heart. And Jesus says that he's going to send his spirit to give us a new heart, and that's what happens on Pentecost. It's from the heart that we live, and he's not looking to the exterior kind of fact check, data check, or has a checklist that he goes through. He's looking straight to the heart, the heart that's, that's tilted towards him, that's walking with him. And it's not all about the exterior behaviors. It's about, is our heart aligned with his, wanting to walk in his ways? Jesus is looking and cares more about a true heart, a just heart, a right heart. Father Simeon uh, speaks to this in his really beautiful commentary on Matthew, Fire of Mercy, Heart of the Word. And he says this, if he is asking his followers to surpass the justice of the Pharisees and doctors of the law, this surpassing is an overabundance that transcends the law interiorly, that deepens the sense of the law and traces it back to its very source in the will and heart of God. To surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees is to get closer and closer and closer in, into the heart of God. That's righteousness. A heart that seeks, that hungers and thirsts for righteousness is a heart that, that longs to be at that place as much as we can in this life of knowing him, not yet face to face, but longing for the day that it's face to face. That heart that is so near to the heart of God and wants to stay near to the heart of God and walk in his ways, that's where righteousness lives, not in the behavioral exterior. He continues here, it's not a transcending in the sense of going beyond, of abandoning or leaving it behind as outdated the law, but in the sense of going deeper into it. An interior transcendence. So we are to impact our world by walking God's ways from the inside out. I want to 
close with a few examples of people I know that are doing that. People that are doing that in proclamation, demonstration, and vocation. Some examples. And let me start with proclamation. You all know Father Herb Bailey. He is our evangelist in residence. And he, he just, wherever he goes, he's just so bold about talking about the goodness of God, wherever he is. But he also is teaching us and helping us to do that. He's right now teaching a class on, on what it means to live this life of salt and light in our world. How do we live it out in our own lives, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods? How, do, how can people encounter the living God through us? So we see that. I see one example in, in my friend Herb and how he lives it out and what he's doing among us as a community. Here's another example, demonstration. Uh, a friend, uh, this comes from a friend of mine, and it has to do with the context of what's going on in Israel and Gaza. And there are so many horrors and atrocities on both sides of that conflict and stories uh, that I, I just can't even imagine. I can't take them in, in in terms of, you know, beginning with Hamas and what the terrorists did with Israelis and some of those stories that are still coming out and then some of the stories and images that we're getting of what's going on in Gaza and innocent citizens of Gaza and what they're living through and the horrors there. There's a friend that, um, a friend of my wife's, Christine, she lives in Scotland and, you know, they're seven hours ahead of us and, um, and even just this morning, this friend texted Christine um, something that she had heard and that was quoted, it was put up on the screen in her church there. And, um, and it w- they were dealing with addressing this same kind of issue and, and coming at it from this angle, like saying, where is God in this? Where is God in war? In all that's happening here. And the response that this friend, uh, that, that, that was spoken in the service and that she texted back, where is God? The answer is, God is under the rubble. And that's just stuck with me all morning, all day. I, I, I'm at the point now in reading this news where I feel like I can't read anymore. It's just too heavy, too much, too horrific, all the things that are happening. Where is God in all of that? He's under the rubble. That's the incarnation right there. A God who is in, enters into our suffering, who suffers with, who comes into his creation and suffers with us. So I have a friend that um, knows some people in Gaza, has spent some time there and spent some time with um, these particular, some particular families and has stayed in communication with them and beginning with day one of the, the, Ham- the Hamas attack and then everything that's happened since, has stayed in communication. And so they're, they're texting back and forth and sharing some voice memos. And so what this friend is doing is there's some children in the family and these children that are suffering so, they're so frightened. There's such trauma that they're going through. And so this friend is sending a voice memo every single day. And sometimes it's just a word of encouragement, just speaking some hope into the situation, speaking some love, some affirmation, some hope. Another day, it'll be a song. This friend will sing a song, record it, and just send it. Another day, it'll be reading a children's book. And just turn the pages, read the book, and then send the voice memo. But every day, these children, and one of the things that trauma does is makes, it makes us 
uh, hypervigilant and on edge and a nervous system is always taut. And, and what this does is every day there's, there's something these kids look forward to. No matter what chaos is going around them, they're going to get this. They're going to get a voice memo that just makes everything okay for a moment. It makes everything okay at least for a moment. Just got to regulate their system. There's peace just in the middle of it. And they know that there will be one tomorrow. This is what it means to be salt and light. It's the little things. Sometimes Christians have done things that have been world-changing for good. That happens too. For most of us, most of the time, it's just the little things that we do to love each other, to care for each other, to serve each other, to lay down our lives for each other. Last one is uh, vocation. And this is, a, this is a fun story. Some people in our church, they're starting a business, and um, it just started recently, and it's a business on co-working space. And they themselves have experienced what it's like to be disconnected, and they see in Austin all these people that are moving here, and so many people working remotely, and there's so many people that just don't have friends. They're lonely, and they're working remotely maybe in their apartment, in their bedroom, or at home alone. And so they decided, we want to address this and and create a space very intentionally where people can come and co-work and, um, and also intentionally design this in a way where it's easy to make connections, to make friends. There can be some social things that happen. Create a vibe and an environment to build community through the way that they're doing their vocation and starting this business. And they have this creative idea to find some spaces that maybe are used heavily on the weekend and not so much during the week and then repurpose them on weekdays, like churches, and other spaces where they're talking to people and converting spaces for this purpose to build community. And it's a way that they're being salt and light through their own vocation. Proclamation, demonstration, vocation, these are all ways that we impact our world by walking in God's ways from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that there are lights uh, around us, people have, who, who have been the shining light of Christ in our lives, or they've been the a salty presence that have flavored our lives or help us get through times that would otherwise break us down. We thank you for the goodness of the saints in our lives, and Lord, we want to, we want to be that for others. And whether it is through something that could be world-changing or city-changing or something that just makes a scared little child in Gaza a little bit better for a little while, would you help us to shine a light? To shine a light in different areas that we have impact or influence in our homes and our neighborhoods, our workplaces. Come, Holy Spirit, transform our hearts and draw us near to your heart, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.